morning, everybody. Today's scripture reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 14 through 17. I am writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I have sent you my son, Timothy, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way in life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you for your reading, Sam, and thank you for everybody who's contributed this morning to worship service. I'm really glad to be able to worship with you. Uh, good morning, uh, Storefront Church. Good morning, New York City. Happy Valentine's Day. Uh, if you have been with us uh, over the last couple of weeks, then you know what we've been up to. We've been reimagining the church as a family. Uh, we've been leaning into those familial categories. Uh, and recognizing that terms like brothers and sisters and children and adoption, and today mother and father, that these aren't just terms for our biological families, but they are terms for our theological families too. Uh, that Christians are called to see one another, we're called to serve one another as those within an ever-expanding yet always intimate family, uh, the family of God. But what happens when a family finds themselves in trouble? What happens when the kids get out of line, when they stumble? Uh, what happens when your children's behavior brings pain and suffering? Uh, when, when their behavior causes division within the family? What do you do? Well, you tend to look to the parents first, don't you? You look to the parents and you hope and you pray uh, that they're wise enough, that they're loving enough, that they are brave enough to wade into those troubles and to guide their children through them. And whatever the stage, stage may be, good mothers, good fathers, uh, which probably are more rare than we realize, good fathers and good mothers, they invest in their children. They invest in their lives. They take initiative. They set a good example for their children in order to pre prepare them to handle the trials of life. Now, that's true in a family setting. That's also true, spiritually speaking, in a church family setting. And what we see here today in the church of Corinth is uh, that they're struggling as well. They're a new church. Uh, they have new leaders. And a lot of the people there are new to the faith. And so while there's a tremendous amount that they can celebrate, uh, these spiritually developing kids uh, due to a lack of spiritual maturity, they're experiencing and they're causing a tremendous amount of pain and suffering, and they're causing a great deal of division. But the Apostle Paul is a pretty good dad. He's a good father. And so what does he do? He does what he's always been doing. He invests his time, he invests his energy in order that they do not remain children forever. See, in the family of God, the role of spiritual fathers, of spiritual mothers is a significant one. It's one of the reasons that uh, we lack spiritual maturity is that we lack good spiritual parents in our lives. And so the topic here today is spiritual maturity. And I want to look at that through the lens of mothers and fathers, through fathers and mothers. 
So here's what we learn. Mature believers help others mature when we recognize the problem, when we demonstrate the pattern, and when we trust in the great power of one's presence. Okay. When we uh, mature believers help others mature, when we recognize the problem, when we demonstrate the pattern, and when we trust in the great power of one another's presence. So first, you have to recognize the problem by stating this, this fact, they don't have many fathers. Paul is addressing a, a pretty basic principle, and that is simply this, that they're spiritually immature. They're not growing in the way that they should. They need spiritual direction. They need his direction. And they need his direction in particular because he is their father. Uh, Paul planted this church. He's the one that, that started this church. God used him to birth this particular church. And so when he says, you don't have many fathers, he's saying, you don't have me. You don't have me to look to you, to, or uh, you don't have me to, to guide and direct you. But he's also saying, you need, he's also, excuse me, when he's talking about fathers, he's also speaking directly to his role as an apostle. And the unique office in biblical history that all of the apostles hold, you know, consider this, that the, the apostles, they were trained, they were trained by the risen Jesus. They were trained by him. And then he was, then he commissioned them. He sent them out. Uh, he sent them out to be uh, witnesses of his resurrection. And they were called to go out into the world and to, to be ambassadors uh, for him. And so the apostles were, and they are, the fathers of the faith. And yet Corinth is in a stage of their development where they're bucking the parental leadership. They're looking at the challenges that Paul has faced, you know, the trials, the tribulations, the shipwrecks, the being bitten by snakes, uh, by being uh, scourged with whips, all of it. Uh, they're looking at all of that, and they're saying, I think we've outgrown him. Uh, we're not experiencing the kinds of troubles that he's experiencing. Our church has grown with a, a little bit of uh, relative ease. I think we've, we've outgrown his parenting. And so uh, let me just simply say this, and I'll use the language that we've been using the last couple of weeks. You're, if you're a Christian church, uh, you never outgrow the apostles' teaching. Uh, if you're a Christian church insofar as you're knit to the ones that Jesus sent, you're a Christian church in that you're knit to the, to the apostles, you're knit to the, their teaching, their way of life, their way of worshiping, because their unique office was that they, they were servants and stewards uh, of the mysteries of the faith. And so Acts 2 says this, he says, it says, the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And it was God who was working through them as they did that, this, that uh, the early church was able to have all things in common, that they felt uh, compelled to sell their possessions and goods and divide them among anyone who had a need. It was their devotion to the apostles' teaching that uh, allowed them to, to live uh, in one another's houses and eat each other's food and be glad about that and have a simplicity of their life and a simplicity in their heart. It was because of the apostles' teaching, because they looked to their fathers, that they, they worshipped Christ, and they had favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily because 
They were devoted to the apostles' teaching first and foremost, and because of that, many, many people were being saved. So in the early church, they were a small church, but they had amongst them many fathers in the faith. And these fathers raised up boys and girls to become fathers and mothers. And now Paul is warning the Corinthian church, a church that's become prideful, a church that's become puffed up, that their spiritual immaturity is on full display. And what he's saying is, you know, 10,000 guides, 10,000 consultants, that is not enough. What you actually need is one father. What you actually need and what they actually have is, is Paul. So what do they need? What is he talking he's about? He's talking about spiritual maturity. The church of Corinth uh, are in need of fathers and mothers. They're in need of mature leaders who are all the time maturing leaders. So one of my favorite stories of, of spiritual development or spiritual direction comes from uh, the great William Still. William Still was a pretty ordinary man in Scotland in the sense he was a preacher. He, he was ordinary in the sense that he didn't run committees. He, didn't, he wasn't a, a chancellor of a, of a university, but he was a preacher in Aberdeen and he, he was a powerful expositor of the word. And people who came through Willie Still's church uh, are kind of the who's who of Scotland. Now, Willie Still was an uneducated man. He was kind of a, a particular man. Um, but when you sat under his teaching, um, you felt the power of God. But just as importantly, he poured his life into the people around him. He devoted himself to the apostles' teaching, and he had devoted himself to the people that came through his church. He poured his life into them. And one of them was Dr. Sinclair Ferguson. And Dr. Ferguson says that, that apart from his wife, no person had a greater influence on him than this preacher, Willie Still. Uh, and he said, uh, at, you know, at one time, uh, he'd been at his church for about a year and a half. And Willie Still was a very big, lumbering, intimidating presence with this very deep voice. And he said, after about a year and a half, Ferguson was trying to get by him. And still said, are you going to come and see me, young man? And Ferguson, the way he tells the story, you know, he's one of my, uh, he, he was at Westminster Theological Seminary. And the way he tells the story is, I mean, can I? Can I come see you? He esteemed him so much. And so, of course, he says, yes, you can. And so he began to disciple him. And after a couple of years, one time, William Still, because William Still saw in Ferguson some real gifts, and he saw a real love for the Lord, he poured into him. And at one point, he gave him uh, a present. He gave him a book. And Ferguson said, you know, you've never given me anything. Thank you. And, you know, I, uh, I kind of want you to sign this for me, will you? And Willie Still said, I don't want to put my signature there. And then he tapped on his heart and he said, I want to, I want to put my signature there. And uh, Ferguson said, that's exactly what he did. That over time, over the years, for the rest of his life, this man, uh, Willie Still, William Still poured into Ferguson. And here's, here's what I want us to see that Dr. Ferguson, um, 
did and did not want to be fathered. He really needed to be fathered. He really wanted to be fathered, but it was often uncomfortable for him. He says it was so intense. He said he'd, he'd run from counseling sessions with him uh, full of delight because of the, because of the, uh, the intensity of, uh, of his love. So he wanted to be discipled. He wanted to be fathered, but it also was, was also, you know, uncomfortable at times. And this is what we need to see. It's always easier to have impersonal guides. It's always easier to hire consultants in our spiritual life. We prefer the freedom. We love the anonymity. Anything that will keep me autonomous, anything that allows me to retain control, anything that allows me to remain just as I am. If that is true of the Corinthians, if that's true of Dr. Ferguson, don't be so sure it's not true of you and I. And as we look at the Western church, we can say the same thing, can't we? We're always in need of fathers. We're always in need of mothers. And so, brothers, let me say to you, we need fathers in the faith here. I want you to be a father in the faith. I long for you to be a father in the faith, to be spiritually mature for your families, for your friends, uh, for this community, for Storefront Church. I long for you to be fathers in the faith. You're needed. You're wanted. Uh, sisters, same to you. We need mothers in the faith here. I want you to be mothers in the faith. I long for you to be mothers in the faith for your families, for your friends, for this church. You're needed. You're wanted. And so while I'm inviting you to lean into trusting God and investing and pouring your hearts out into others, let's admit, leaning into these roles is daunting. You know, Susan reminded me yesterday that as a parent, there's nothing that prepares you faster for the role of parenting than actually becoming a mother or a father. It's daunting, but it's also a daunting to assume the role of, of the child, right? The one who's going to be poured into. But let me tell you, unless you have a father or a mother in the faith who's overseeing your growth, who is pouring into you, you will remain unformed. You'll remain uninitiated. You'll, your growth will be stunted. But we're always children of God. God is calling you to grow. He's calling you to grow up, spiritually speaking. So answer the call. So the first point, the problem of spiritual maturity points to a basic principle. that It's true then, it's true now. We don't have many fathers. But what it, does it look like? That's the question. What does it look like to be a father or a mother? It may not be what you think. Paul says, if you want to know what it looks like to be a, to be a father, look at me. Imitate my life. He says, uh, look at uh, how I live. Look at what I do. Paul encourages the church to be imitators of him, doesn't he? Now, let's just step back for a second because Paul is a, a good father. He's not asking us to intimidate all of his actions, right? You know, the Apostle Paul had an extraordinary life. He was based, generally considered, you know, one of the most influential people in all of human history. He's usually in the top 10 on those kinds of lists. So 
he's not saying imitate me in that way. He's not trying to discourage us. He's not trying to shame us. He's not saying live up to my standard. He's saying imitate me in this way. Imitate me as, as servants and stewards. Have the spiritual disposition and the vocational mindset of a servant and of a and a, uh, uh, and as a steward. And this is coming from the top of this chapter in 1 Corinthians 4.1. Paul describes how all of the apostles regard themselves and how they hope to be regarded by others. And it's a good lesson for each of us. It's a good goal for each of us that we should, be, we should hope to be thought of, that we should regard ourselves as servants of the gospel and as stewards of the mysteries of God. Pattern your life on him in those ways. So what does it mean to be a servant? Well, just very quickly, uh, Paul uses the word hyperotis. And hyperotis is a word that describes a subordinate servant that's functioning freely. It's, it's not a prestigious position. He's not a slave. It's a, it's a subordinate uh, servant that functions as a free man. He's there by choice. Uh, so he's not the lowliest. Uh, he's not using the lowliest word for a servant. But hyperotis is, is uh, you know, certainly a servant. But he's there and he has a close tie to the master. You know, it actually is a word that's used for those who row in a boat, like in a big galley ship. And they're not there in, in the hull doing all the muck, mucky kind of, uh, you know, really terrible work. But they're there rowing alongside other people with a view of, of the master, taking direction from him, telling him how to row, how fast to row, which direction to row, when to stop, so on and so forth. So patterning your life on him. As a servant, he's saying, with Christ as your master, with Christ as your master. The second is to pattern your life as a steward. Now, steward describes a manager of a household. Uh, in relation to the master of the house, he is, of course, a servant. But in relation to the others, the steward was a master. So he was a steward over servants. And the apostles were stewards of the mysteries of God. They managed. They preserved, they protected, uh, they dispensed in the sense of they distributed the truth of God. So the apostles were thought of themselves and they regarded themselves not as, not as uh, you know, they weren't prideful and puffed up. They saw themselves as those who were submitted to the, to the master. They saw themselves as those who held the keys, who dispense the profound mysteries of, of, of God to the people in the early church. And so Paul, when he says, imitate me as a servant, as a steward, where, do, where does he, where does this come from? Well, let me, let's just say, this is part of a gospel pattern. These qualities don't begin with Paul, but where does he learn it? He learns it almost from day one. You know, the Apostle Paul had a profound conversion experience, didn't he? He was Saul of Tarsus, a persecutor of the church, who uh, was confronted by Jesus, the risen Jesus, on the road to Damascus, right? And, and after being confronted by Jesus, he's told to go into Damascus and wait. Paul wasn't a father. He was Saul then. He, wasn't, he was Saul the persecutor, not Paul the father. But he's told to go to Damascus and wait like a child. And so he waits like a child. And Ananias 
uh, a figure we don't know that much about in the early church has a vision. He has a dream. and Jesus speaks to him in the dream. And Ananias is told, go and see Saul of Tarsus. And Ananias says, no, he's a persecutor of your people. Why, why would I go there? And he says, go to him because I am going to make him the vessel to the Gentiles. He's going to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. He's going to bring the gospel to the nations. He's going to bring the gospel to the people of Israel. Go, he will be my vessel. So Ananias, as a servant, obeys the master. Ananias functions out of what? Out of his hyperotis. He says, okay, he goes. So he goes, not knowing what to expect, having his only enough information to act in faith. And he goes and he lays his hands on him. And he says, you are going to be uh, a servant of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit comes out through him, comes through him and lands on the Apostle Paul. Scales fall from his eyes. The Apostle Paul comes to faith. He's baptized. And the rest is, is in some sense, history, real history. But see, there's a pattern here, right? When Paul says, imitate me, he's saying, imitate Ananias. And when he says, imitate me and imitate Ananias, the pattern goes much further than that, doesn't it? Because he's saying, when you imitate me, you're imitating Jesus. You're imitating Christ. Because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was the ultimate servant who always looked to the Father and said, tell me what to do. Show me how to live. Tell me when to stop growing. Tell me when to push harder. Which to go right or to go left. I'm watching you. Yes, I'm God, come in the flesh. I'm God incarnate, but I'm, I have my eyes fixed on you, Father. And I will steward these profound gifts that you, that you have given me. I will dispense them to any and all who is in need. I hold the, the treasures, the mystery of the faith. But because you want to extend those to other people, I will go to the cross. I will follow your lead. I'll go to the cross and I'll die so that those gifts can be poured out. Poured out to the nations, poured out to the Gentiles, poured out to Israel. So that people can be brought into the family of God. So that children can grow up to be fathers and mothers in the faith. So that mature believers can be maturing believers all the days of their lives. So that we can be stewards. So that we can be hold the mysteries of the faith. Jesus Christ, Son of God, took the form of a servant. Always living in obedience to the Father. So that you and I can know what it is to be servants. And how to steward our gifts well. So that we don't become puffed up and prideful. Because the gifts that we've received are gifts we've received. By his grace. So what do we see there? We see, see the problem. We're spiritually immature, but we need, we need fathers. We need mothers. We don't know what that looks like because oftentimes whenever we get a small amount of success, we get prideful. We think it's our gifts that are getting this done and not his. So Paul says, look to me, function as a servant, as a steward, but also trust in the great power of your presence in people's lives. Why does Paul send Timothy? You know, Timothy's a young man. Paul has to encourage him. He says, do not let people despise you because of your youth. Why does Paul send Timothy? 
And then why does he lovingly warn them that if they don't accept Timothy, that he's coming? It's crazy, right? It's a little bit bizarre unless you know the scriptures. Unless you know the scriptures. In the Corinthian church, I shouldn't say unless you know the scriptures, unless you were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Remember, they don't have what you and I have. They don't have a canonized Bible in 19 different translations on their apps. They don't have what you and I have. You know what they have? They have one another's presence. They have the presence of those who are devoted to the apostles' teaching. And they would have known the story of the parable of the tenants. Now, in the parable of the tenants, it's a story in which uh, it's about a tenant farmer who sets up uh, these farms, and then he goes away, but he hires hands to oversee these farms. And he keeps sending his sons to check in on them. But you know what the tenant farmers do? They kill them. They kill them. And at the end, because um, they want what the son has, right? They don't want to be uh, superintended. They don't want to be parented by this master, master farmer. But ultimately, there's a great warning that when the father comes, he's going to come. and He's just going to wipe out all of those tenant farmers. So it's a hard, hard parable, but in a loving admonishment, Paul is saying, I'm sending my son. I'm sending the one that I've poured into Timothy. You don't need me because I've put my, my signature on his heart. I feel utterly confident in sending him. He has sat at my knee. Um, he, has, uh, he has imitated me well. Uh, he's a good son. He's a maturing son. He's a good imitator. And he's not just an imitator of the Apostle Paul. He has always been a good imitator. He was a good Im imitator of his mother, Eunice. He was a good imitator of his grandmother, Lois. Those were mature women in the faith. And because God is at work in Timothy's life, though he's young, Paul says, I trust in the Lord. I'll send him. I trust in the power of people's presence because I know the way that God works through people. Timothy's going to show up in Corinth and he's going to direct men twice his age. He's going to disciple men and women. Why? Because the power of the Spirit in this life, are you afraid of such an assignment? Don't be. The Lord God will use you if you ask him. If you dare to ask him, listen, it is a good thing to desire greater spiritual leadership. That is a noble thing. Desire it for yourself. If God has called you into a relationship with him, he has not done so, so that you remain a child. Become a father. Become a mother. That's what his call is. That's the healthy goal. It's the right goal. Also, recognize the power of your presence in people's lives and recognize the power of other people's presence in your life. You know, one commentator says, you know, that every believer, every follower of Jesus should have three relationships in their life. Every, every Christian needs a Paul who can mentor him and challenge him. Every Christian needs a Barnabas, another apostle who can come alongside and encourage him. And 
Every, every Christian needs a Timothy, someone that you're pouring your life into. So you need all three of those relationships. So you're, you're all the time maturing yourself and allowing others to mature. Spiritually mature people also know that they need to say no to many things in their lives because they're focused on the master's. There's all kinds of extracurricular activities in New York City was, and hopefully it will be soon, a place where of just excitement and opportunity. And the challenge for believers as they're growing is to be able to say no, because somebody's pouring into you, because somebody's walking alongside you, because you're pouring into somebody else. But you have to also, maybe to put it positively, get, get used to saying yes. Yes to waking up earlier. Yes to being having access to other people. You have to be able to say yes when God directs you. So Paul sends Timothy to these people and the great prayer is that they won't say no, that they won't reject the son. And they don't. The Corinthian church uh, embrace Timothy and many of uh, much of the, the writings of the Corinthian church, you know, there's supposed to be four letters. That's how fatherly Paul was to them. We have two of them. Um, my desire for us in this church is that we continue to grow, that we, we continue to embrace the ones that are sent into our lives so that we can become mothers and fathers in the faith so that we might serve this community well so that we might be a shining example of the love of jesus to new york city let's pray heavenly father lord i thank you lord that you do love us enough that you send fathers into our lives like the apostle paul we thank you lord that you're bold enough that timothy can be fathers uh, to, to people Lord, we thank you that you just don't call men, you call women. You call all of us to, to help each other mature in the faith. And we thank you, Lord, for the pattern. That, Lord, that you call us into relationship with yourself, that you compel us to be servants and, and stewards. That you put us into, the, into proximate relationships with others so that your spirit can do what your spirit does. And, Lord, I pray that each and every one of us would learn what this means so that we might know the, know the power of the Holy Spirit so that Jesus might be more beautiful to us and to those around us. I pray this in his name. Amen.